Hello, high rollers, powerhouses, and go all outers. Welcome to another episode of Right Minded. And thank you, by the way, for tuning in. And if you're a regular listener, a special thanks because we're super grateful to be in your feed and in your ears each week. And from time to time on this show, we like to feature experts in the realm of the publishing world. Uh, So Grant, here we are today doing one of those expert shows. Um, And those experts are often writers. Um, And that's definitely the case with today's guest, MJ Rose, who's a marketing guru, but also a prolific author of historical fiction. And she's also a founding member of the International Thriller Writers. And, you know, I think in book publishing, the best experts are those who do their own books because they're in the trenches and they know what it's like. There might be a little more empathy there, too, as a result, or perhaps a more uh, get real vibe. And in MJ's case, that's certainly true. And there's also a bit of tough love. Um, And all of this really resonates with me, Grant, because I'm a bit of a tough love person myself. And the reason I'm like that is because I really, really want authors to succeed. Uh, I want them not to be delusional on the same note. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's just a lot of hope, but there's also a lot of delusion in this industry. Authors imagining they can just show up on the scene with a first book and that it will be breakout just because it has a great message or it's well-written. And it's just not how it is. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is sell false hope. And there's certainly a lot of reality to learn in the publishing journey of any book. And I've got to say, MJ delivers uh, that tough love in a really, for me, fun way. She doesn't pull any punches. She tells it like it is. And so that's one reason to to stay on and listen to this whole episode. Yeah, her interview is is got that in spades for those of you who are gearing up and getting ready. And, uh, you know, in preparation for MJ's interview, I thought it would be helpful to lay the groundwork, although MJ does this herself, you know, just to say, what is the difference between publicity and marketing? We've had guests come on the show to talk about both. We had Fazia Burke back when and Dan Blank, uh, for those of you who want to go and check out the archives. But basically, just sort of cheat sheet version, marketing is stuff that you pay for, right? Or that you directly control yourself, things like ads or social media strategy, campaigns like Goodreads, giveaways or blog tours. And then publicity involves things that you cannot buy. I mean, it's expensive because you're paying a publicist, but you cannot buy like excerpts in magazines or being a guest on a podcast or a television show. Um, you know, you can't buy getting a Q&A published with a reputable news outlet or websites. So most authors uh, honestly would do best to come at their promotional efforts with a two-pronged approach to do both marketing and publicity. Uh, And the fact that both matter really also speaks to how publishing as an industry falls down on the job, frankly, because publishers pay so much attention to publicity, not as much on marketing. You know, they definitely leave that to the authors to figure out on their own. And also publishers don't do a good job of marketing their own companies. That's that's another aspect of the whole larger sort of dysfunctional relationship between publishers and marketing. Um, you know, and the few publishers I know who are focused on marketing are actually kind of cutting edge. <laughs> you know, maybe they're like trying to maximize Amazon ads or they're partnering with outlets to do group advertising, which is something that we do. Um, and, you know, on the other hand, I want to give people some slack, publishers especially, because there are just so, so, so many opportunities out there and it's super overwhelming for publishers and authors alike. So, Grant, I'm curious because you have a book so recently released. 
Do you have a sense of whether your publisher did marketing or publicity or both? And um, as an author, do you do anything that you would qualify as marketing? Yeah, good question. A good definition of publicity versus marketing, because it's so easy to conflate the two. Um, so I, wanna, I, I think the book I would like to talk about for this is my book, Pep Talks for Writers. Um, and I, I mentioned that because it, it was uh, published by Chronicle Books. So they have a, you know, a publicity team. They have more of an infrastructure of support than a small press does, which is what my fiction book just came out of. And and most books that bigger publishers have a publicist like assigned to them. So I had a publicist who, who met with me to go over things like my list of connections, you know, basically anyone who might do anything to promote my book. And she came up with a publicity plan and, and she did things like coordinate podcast interviews like this one and set up readings and find places for me to guest blog. She also actually hired a firm that specialized in, in radio to get me radio interviews. And I ended up doing 20 or so interviews with, with uh, stations across the U.S. And it was just such a fun, weird, kooky experience talking to the whole gamut of shows. You know, I'd drop in for a two or three minute segment on a morning commute show and then talk for an hour about creativity on an NPR affiliate and then appear on, on the tiniest local radio station imaginable. Like I could hear, you know, cows mooing in the background. Um, so it was Tillahoot and... Um, the thing about authors and publishers is that authors are often in the dark on many things. And I had no idea what the marketing spend was. Uh, but later, you know, I found out that they'd done things like purchased placement at Barnes and Noble and they'd purchased ads. And, and the funny thing about the marketing spend is just, you know, just that, that learning about things after the fact, you know? And so I think that this is like one point for authors is to try to know as much as you can, because like you said, Brooke, you're going to have to supplement. I just think no matter where you publish as an author, you got to figure out the publicity and marketing that works for you. Because like my small press, most small presses, they don't have a publicist on staff. They don't have a marketer on staff and they don't generally have much budget for that. Um, so they might provide guidance and support as much as they can, but they're not going to by placement at Barnes and Noble. So I'll just say that, you know, it's, it's so easy for authors to get lost in this. And every time I have a book come out, I think like, oh, I know about it all now, but, but I don't, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's easy for authors. Uh, and, and uh, MJ speaks to this about, you know, they know the value of their book. So it's easy to think your, your publicist is working hard for your book because they see the same value that you see in it. And you can imagine a lot of great opportunities for it. Like, you know, why not the Today Show or a segment on MNPR? But the fact is, is that your publicist is working on a long list of books. So unless your book is huge, you should still either be your own publicist or consider hiring one. And um, I certainly handle a lot of my own publicity. Yeah. I mean, and that was certainly my experience working in big publishing because now that I'm in indie alternative publishing, it's just, that's the way it is, right? Like the authors handle their own publicity and that's, there's no, I mean, there's discussion about it, but there's not any sense like, oh, my publisher should be doing that for me. But you know, the big publishing houses, they put a lot of money into the books to acquire them, to produce them. And then sometimes often not a lot of money into the marketing and publicity. And it's one of the things that I think is just quite dysfunctional about publishing in general. You know, this idea that many of them, I mean, like when I worked at Seal Press, they would say, uh, you know, by which I mean, like corporate would say, to grow the program, we need more quote unquote, big books. 
you know, the idea being that if we just could acquire more bestsellers, then everything would be fine. And MJ is going to talk to this point too, right? It's like, it's ridiculous because you don't know, you can't predict unless you have like a Stephen King on your list and his publisher pays dearly for that privilege, believe me. So for the average publisher, it's a shot in the dark and publishers, you know, we know that publicity and marketing even if you have a lot of it, can fail to gain traction. Uh, And sometimes the books that you think are going to break out don't. And there's a reason also that books are called sleepers, because there are those books that break out and surprise everyone. So, you know, just on a macro publishing level, authors do need to keep in mind that the onus is on them to do the work, no matter how you publish. And it's a tough pill to swallow, for sure. Like the reality check is sobering. I think in a good way, because it will make you a better author in the long run. And romanticizing the experience is not helpful. (laughs) You know, as we well know, Grant, uh, you have to approach it like the business that it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is just just to (laughs) kind of put that business in some context. I'm going to give a very scary figure here. But there are 1.6 million books published every year. And I mentioned this because I often ask people to think of the books they've purchased in the last year and to think about why they bought them. You know, was it a book review? Was it general buzz? Was it a TikTok video? And marketing wisdom says that it takes seven touch points, you know, seven points of genuine awareness to get someone to take an action or even consider an action. So you might need the book review plus the TikTok video plus a friend's recommendation and much, much, much more. So it's it's just super tough to, to, to sell a book because not only are there 1.6 million new books, but there is obviously a huge backlist that doesn't go away and it's contending with your book. Um, so that's my tough love for today's show, Brooke. I hope I didn't kill any dreams because I also think the journey itself is completely satisfying. I, I, I just recently said you only need I'm, – I'm so satisfied just to get one – reader who tells me that my book meant something. It's so touching. I I mean, this is the tough love episode. We just figured out the the title for the show because, (laughs) you know, it's it's I like it. You know, I mean, I think it's a reality check that not enough people give because so many people are selling the dream. Right. Mm -hmm. And then no one would ever write a book if if if, like they absolutely knew that it was just going to be an utter failure, but it's never an utter failure. I mean, every once in a while, you'll hear some sort of disastrous experience. But for most people, even if you sell some titles, you know, it's like you're going to have the experience of it having resonated with people. You know, to me, the inspiration is knowing what's ahead of you and doing it anyway. Uh, So maybe we all have different versions of what's inspiring. But, you know, again, to echo something that MJ talks about later in the interview, I'm honestly like really disgusted by disingenuousness and it's very rampant in the publishing industry because some people are really trying to sell dreams and they're trying to cash in on people's hopes and selling false hope is really one of my absolute pet peeves, you know, promising things that are unrealistic. It's just so uncool. And I think predatory, right? So uh, selling dreams is one thing. I mean, like I love to, encourage my authors to dream, but selling false promise at a cost is like a whole other level of low. And all of this is just like kind of touches into a lot of my commitment to transparency, especially since entering into the non-traditional publishing space. And it's absolutely my lived experience that authors who have their eyes open to the realities will always have a more positive experience. And writers do not stop or fail to publish just because they understand the realities. You know, in fact, it just gives them more choices and they're more empowered. So I'm assuming you kind of fall in line with this line of thinking, Grant. 
Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking back, like when you get your book and you hold it in your hand for the first time, it's such a special moment. And it's so easy to think that's going to sell well. And then, you know, when you post about it on social media and you get a bunch of likes from your friends and you, you can just kind of feel like a star in that that world. But it's so tough to sell a book, as we keep saying in this episode. You know, it's tough to sell a loaf of bread as well. you got to figure out what makes that loaf of bread different than other loaves of bread and the type of person interested in that type of bread and then how to make them aware of it, you know, at least seven times. So, so yeah, the more you know, the better. Because, as I said, I, I learn something with each book that comes out. And with each new book, I, I know of new possibilities and I'm better at marketing and publicizing it. So, I'm looking forward to some more tough love inspiration uh, with MJ Rowe, who is going <laughs> to deliver it. I know. I witnessed it. I heard it. So come back right after this short break. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to tell you about this wonderful NaNoWriMo event we have coming up. It's called Camp NaNoWriMo, and it's a virtual writing retreat in the month of April. It's free. All you have to do is go to NaNoWriMo.org and sign up for it and then set up a project for Camp NaNoWriMo, which means setting up a goal and a deadline for the word count you would like to write in the month of April. It doesn't have to be a novel. It can be a memoir, a script, an epic poem, a bunch of jokes, uh, a poem every day, whatever you want to write. So come to NaNoWriMo and we will help you write the writing project of your dreams. Look forward to seeing you in April. Welcome back, everyone. I am thrilled that we get to have MJ Rose on as a guest today. She is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 20 novels published in more than 30 countries. And she's also the co-author of three books on marketing and the co-creator of 1001darknights.com, as well as the creator of authorbuzz.com, which is the premier marketing and promotion service that lets authors make a personal connection with the people who buy, sell, read, and recommend their books, which is very important. We're going to touch on that today. MJ writes and lives in New York City. And MJ, I'm just thrilled that you're joining us on Right Minded today. Welcome. Oh, thank you for inviting me so much. So I thought it would be helpful to set the context for our listeners about the work that you do in the realm of book marketing. I know that you distinguish between marketing and PR. And so I have two questions for you. Is PR the same as publicity? Um, and then since you're in marketing, what is it about marketing that you find exciting or more effective over PR? Okay. Uh, so yes, publicity and PR are the same thing. And basically the way that I differentiate them is PR is when you pay people to try to get you attention, reviews, get influencers involved. Anything where you're paying, the money that you're paying is going to the person who's working for you. And then they're going to be pitching the book to various people. Sometimes there's some of that money that goes to some other things. But basically, you're trying to get the media or social media involved in the book by convincing them and pitching it to them. And it's very important. Marketing is where you pay in, in general, it's 80% of what you're paying me goes out the door to physically buy space for your ads or promotions on the sites where we're doing them for you. And so basically, I like to say that PR is a gamble. And when it pays off, it's a really good gamble. But marketing is very nuts and bolts in that if you buy it, it'll show up. When you're buying marketing, nobody's ever going to say, well, Goodreads wouldn't take the ad. 
they take the ad if I buy it and they run it. And if they don't run it, they rerun it. So the way I look at both of them is they do very different things and different books require PR and other books don't require PR basically because in order to get somebody interested in talking about reading, recommending, or reviewing your book, they need to feel that there's something about it that is any of those things. And so as wonderful as another novel about a, a sleuth who uses um, you know, a, a gun to find a robber is, that's going to be a pretty hard PR push unless you're famous or there's something famous in the book or there's something really unusual about you or the book. But with marketing, I can buy a million ads about uh, a sleuth who uses a gun to solve a murder. And my goal is the same to get attention for the book, but I have a lot more tools at my disposal because I'm creating ads. I'm not trying to convince somebody that this book is different. I don't need the book to be different to market it. I just need it to be shown to the right people, which is also what marketing can do when it's done well, is I can target ads very, very tightly. So if you have a, a cozy mystery, I can target readers who only read cozy mysteries. They don't, well, they may read other things, but every single person who sees that ad will be a reader of a cozy mystery. That was very educational. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I haven't ever said it before, actually. It's something no one's ever asked me. <laughs> yeah. Well, MJ, uh, you have this interesting distinction. You've called yourself the voice of doom. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> so that's to titillate listeners right now. Don't turn it off. You're going to hear from the voice of doom here. <laughs> and, and, and you've said that you need to be an optimist to write and a pessimist to get your book published. So I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that. Sure. So I'm the voice of doom because I tell the truth. Um, I don't advertise my services. I don't I don't try, go out there and try to get business. It's all word of mouth. And I like to tell people not to hire me before they hire me because it's so hard to sell a book. It's so hard to sell any book anymore because there are over two million books published a year and there are dozens of millions of books that have been published before and no book ever dies anymore. So readers are still discovering Agatha Christie. I mean, she's still selling hundreds of thousands of copies a year. And I can't in this short time go into all the details about why it's so hard to sell a book, but basically no one needs another book unless they are looking for a diet book and that's what you've written. You know, it's like hardcore nonfiction. There's a need for those books, but everything else, it has to be all about appeal. And what makes a book sell is not PR and not marketing. I can't buy enough ads to sell your book and nobody can get you enough articles in enough magazines to sell your book. What happens is all the ads and magazines can do is get someone interested enough in the book to go to Amazon or wherever they buy books and read the book description, the reader reviews, and the excerpt. And it's those things that make someone decide to buy a book. And that's why I'm the voice of doom, because very few people who do this for a living will tell you that truth. They will give you, oh, yes, if you hire me, I'll sell you at least a thousand copies. Or, you know, they just they come up with nonsense. No one can guess how many books you can sell because nobody can guess how many people are going to find the book appealing because appealing isn't about good or bad. I could tell you like the best book I ever read, I think sold 500 copies and it's called the bells and nobody's ever heard of it. And 50 shades of gray. Nobody thinks is a 
good book, but it was incredibly appealing. Whereas The Bells is about something very specific and archaic and strange, and most people don't find the subject in the slightest bit appealing. And that ineffable appeal is what makes this such a hard business because truly nobody knows because if anybody knew, no publisher in New York would ever publish a book that's not a bestseller. If anybody could tell what was going to sell and what people were going to find appealing, everybody would be successful. So um, I'm also the voice of doom because if you, you actually get on the phone with me or we email and you ask me how many, you know, how I think the book's going to do, I'm pretty honest about the covers. I don't think the cover is a saleable cover or, you know, lots of different details. I don't like to keep people in the dark and I don't think there are enough people in this industry who tell authors the truth. And because I'm an author, I feel a very deep obligation to be truthful with people. And the quote, which you have read me extensively to have found that little quote buried in everything else I've said, but the quote is that as an author, I know that in order to believe that you have a story to tell, you have to be incredibly optimistic that you can do it, that it's worth telling, that you have the talent, that there's an audience for it. All those things require great hope. And, and I totally encourage everybody to do them. You should never give up on any dream. But when it comes time to publish or you got to publish, you have to change your clothes completely and you have to put on pessimist clothes because almost everybody's disappointed. Even an author that gets a $250,000 advance from Random House is probably going to be disappointed. I would say they're probably, other than already existing bestsellers like the Nora Roberts and the Lee Childs of the world, a new publication for them isn't meaningful. But for the rest of us, even people that have 10, 20 books out, you never know what's going to succeed. And you also never feel like anybody's done enough to really publish it because you know what's in it and you know how good it is. And you think everybody else should think it's good. And everybody's everybody else is a different number. I, I won't mention who it is, but there's a major New York Times bestselling author who has over 40 million books in print. And she's never been on the New York Times list because of various reasons that have nothing to do with anything but velocity of her sales. And she told me that she sold 40 million books. And she told me that she'll never consider herself a success until she's a New York Times bestseller. And that's what I mean. I mean, how can you not be satisfied when you've sold 40 million books? I mean, she's worth over $50 million. And she still is so pessimistic. You know, she's so, so negative because she hasn't reached this one goal. My goodness. Well, you and I hang around with a lot of authors. And so we hear this stuff all the time. And oh, my gosh, what you're saying, it just mirrors my experience so much <laughs> of authors with publicity and really difficult to be satisfied and, and certainly to exceed expectations is, is so tough. Um, exceed expectations? How about even coming up halfway <laughs> to expectations is tough? Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember a single author who has said that the publicity exceeded their expectations, not a uh, one. No, not a one. Yeah. So uh, you've also said that no one can buy a book they've never heard of. Um, mm -hmm. You know, get, getting the word out about a book is hard for a lot of reasons, but one is the aforementioned competition, right? I mean, there's just tons and tons of books out there. So what is a strategy that you would offer to an unknown author about getting discovered, like a single tip? Okay, well, I, I should say that the sentence, nobody can uh, buy a book they've never heard of, is more geared to when people ask me what the reason for doing marketing is hmm. or 
publicity. It's like the basic answer. It's like, why should I spend my own money or why should I spend money on this book? It's because if you don't tell people about it, they can't find it. So there's not one pathway to having people hear about your book. So the sentence is more like, don't expect to just publish the book and do nothing and that anybody will ever know it exists. Right. So it's very hard without knowing the book to come up with any kind of um, path for somebody. I would say that it's easier for me to say what won't work and what won't work is putting your time, your heart and your soul into your own social media. You, you cannot, unless it's a specific kind of nonfiction, like, for instance, if it was a diet book that was a 24-day diet book and you came up with this brilliant thing of having 20,000 people online all doing di- diaries every day on Facebook with you, that's a whole other thing. But if we're talking about memoirs and fiction, there's you telling people about your book who you're buying or who you're dragging to your social media through pictures that have nothing to do with your book or through any method. Readers, less than 1% of readers, when asked how they discovered the book they were currently reading, less than 1% found the book from the author's own social media. And the one, the less than 1% that did, it was all mega bestsellers. Like I follow Nora, you know, somebody would say, I follow Nora Roberts' Facebook page. And every time she has a new book out, they announce it. Mm-hmm. Yes, because if you read Nora Roberts and she publishes 20 books a year, you're going to have to follow her page to know when a new book is coming out. But I have, and I always give this example, I had to build up my Facebook page as a marketing person. I had to understand Facebook and everything else and have over 400,000 people on my Facebook page. And yet when I announce that I have a new book out, because of how Facebook algorithms work these days, if I sell 300 books from the 400,000 people, it's a miracle to me. Right. Because Facebook just doesn't show things to the readers and readers don't really, they say they follow you. They don't really look. It's just your own social media is not a solution to discovery. By all means, have it and have fun with it and enjoy it. But you just can't think it's it's a solution. MJ, I love this voice of doom side of yourself. Um, <laughs> there is no other side. That's the problem. <laughs> it's very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's strangely reassuring. But uh, discoverability is so fascinating to me because the tools of discoverability keep shifting. I had a, had a, an amazing conversation with a 14-year-old girl who became a reader almost overnight because of book talk on TikTok. Oh, God, yes. And then I see uh, James Daunt, the CEO of uh, Barnes & Noble, and he says that TikTok is the major driver of people people coming into Barnes and Nobles to buy books. And so you've obviously done a lot of thinking and research on discoverability. And so I was wondering if you can kind of just, you know, take this a, a step further. Yeah, well, the problem, the, the brilliant thing about Book Talk is there is nothing like it. And the people there are very, have a lot of integrity and they literally can't be bought and they can barely be um, reached. You can't reach them. Once they've discovered your book, they sometimes make themselves known to you in a way that like they want the next book or they want you to do something with them. That's different. But to go out and say, I'm going to try to get myself on book talk is basically impossible. I've had I have clients and I have people that we publish that have been um, Jennifer Armantrout series that's out now sold about two million copies in less than two years. And it was 
hugely book talk. I mean, I did all the same marketing for her series that I did for X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z have sold 100,000 copies and Jennifer sold 2 million. Of course, one would argue it's a better book, but taking that away, she has over 700 million hashtags on book talk. And the good thing is you can't, you can't crack it. And also, so that's the bad thing. You can't crack it because it remains. That's why it's lasting because people know it's honest. Instagram has become less than honest because so many of the people on Instagram who were talking about books are getting gift cards from publicists or they're showing 10 books in a pile of books that do absolutely no good. But anyway, that's all negative. You have to use what's out there and there's not a lot that's out there. So um, this is helpful, not helpful. There, Goodreads has giveaways that are really valuable if you use them correctly, but using them correctly is a little complicated. So it's not just like go to Goodreads and do a giveaway. It's it's like, first of all, if you're going to do a giveaway at Goodreads, you need to do the more expensive one um, because that one emails everybody who entered to win the book. It emails them and said you didn't win. So otherwise, if you do giveaways where people don't know that they didn't win, when the book does come out, they don't buy it because they're still waiting to win it. So I think that right now, in terms of discoverability, this is not going to help people either. I think you need to do as much of many things as you can, because we don't know one thing that works. So you need to in your t- where you live, you need to reach out to librarians and booksellers. You need to reach out to every single person you know. I do brainstorming sessions where we pick a book and I brainstorm how to um, how to market them. And one of the really great things is to look at a book and find something unique about it. I, the example that I like to give is I had a, per- a book. The main character made perfume. The book wasn't about perfume, but that was her job. And I found a perfumer in New York, a very well-known perfumer, who read the book and then was really interested in and said that he would make a perfume based on the perfume in the book, and he would sell it. He he sold in a department store in Manhattan, and he wanted to sell it. He was really intrigued by it. And so what we did was he made a 1,000 samples of the perfume, and we had a pre-order campaign where anybody who pre-ordered the book would get a sample of the perfume up to the first thousand people. I don't normally suggest giveaways like that, but in this case, I really wanted the perfume, people who love perfume really love reading about it. If it was a pearl necklace, I wouldn't do it because everybody would just want the pearl necklace. But this was really a very insular thing. But anyway, find something crazy about your book that's really unique and see what big mouths there are or what who you could use. I hate to take us off such, you know, such an upswing and bring us back to frustration, but I'm going to do it um, because you, I know you and I both are frustrated about current publishing models, you know, in the ways that it works and doesn't work for authors. And most authors understand that they have to take marketing and publicity into their own hands these days, right? Which means that they have to build their own teams and hire their own people. Um, And so I just wanted to ask you a money question because publicists are expensive, you know, like 7,500 to 30,000 is probably like an average publicity campaign. Yes. Um, But you recommend spending more money on marketing than publicity. And so I'm curious if you could share what you would spend the most amount of dollars on and why? 
In marketing specifically. In marketing, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. And the reason, by the way, that I suggest spending more in marketing than PR is what I explain the differences is that every dollar that you spend in marketing, 80 cents, actually will show up in an ad somewhere. Whereas you can, I did with that perfume book, I hired a publicist and I did, it's the first time I ever spent that kind of money. It was like sending a child to private school. <laughs> and um, she, she turned it over to an assistant who got me absolutely nothing, four blogs. And there was no recourse and there was no way of knowing that was going to happen. And it doesn't matter. Let's move on because I'm still upset about the money that I spent. Um, you know, there are we have crazy budgets in marketing, too. I mean, I have clients that spend fifteen hundred dollars and we do face we do Facebook ads, which have nothing to do with the author's social media. But I can target readers really, really tightly on Facebook, Facebook, BookBub, if the price of the book is right, Goodreads. Um, are three of my top, if it's nonfiction, if it's the right kind of nonfiction, Amazon sponsored ads, never fiction on Amazon sponsored ads. One of the most successful programs we do is a takeover of the Amazon e-reader, which is the device that people read their eBooks on. And it's, it's very expensive, but it's um, 2 million times over two weeks, about 2 million times over two weeks, 750,000 people who have who are targeted who have read a similar book when they turn on their e-reader will see your book cover and it'll link to your book and so it's incredibly effective but it's it's very expensive so we have clients that spend anywhere from $1500 period to people that spend $30,000 to $50,000 a month you know that those people there are more of the latter than the former or more of the former than the latter, or I wouldn't be doing this call anymore, but um, it's, it really depends on the book and the person. I also say you should never take money out of savings. You should never mortgage your house and don't, don't ever take money out of your IRA to do any of these things, not PR, not marketing. This is all much too much of a gamble. And when people tell me they're doing that, I actually won't take their business. Because I, I know how hard it is to sell a book and it, you just can't, you can't hope your way into success. Well, interesting, MJ. Um, you know, I wonder if we could close with um, just talking about Amazon since you mentioned them and, and Amazon reviews uh, in particular. And I hear, I'm very confused by Amazon reviews. I hear all the time that, that 50 is the magic number. But, you know, Amazon also has intense nepotism policies and it can be really hard to get these reviews, you know, whether you buy the book or don't buy the book on Amazon. So what what is the skinny on Amazon reviews? OK, so the number the number is 15 to 20 reviews is the first number that matters mm. before when people come to me to do ads. I mean, we, I, this comes out of seeing the ads. I mean, doing ads for authors, knowing how many reviews are on the page and then them telling me about the sales and sort of figuring it out. And I also have reps at Amazon that I work with really closely. So basically, the first benchmark is 15 to 20 reviews are what you need so that when the reader goes there, they feel comfortable. Now, I always get someone who says, well, I, you know, Lee Child's book came out day one was the number one bestseller and had no reviews. This obviously is only relevant to people who don't have huge followings already, where people are going to buy their book without reading a review. No, nobody reads the reviews anymore to buy their favorite author. This is for the rest of us mere mortals, where people actually want to know what the book is about before they buy it. So 15 to 20 is the first number. Before you spend any money 
um, before, like I would do Goodreads ads for you, I would really want you to have at least at least 15 reviews at Amazon, um, as long as it's a three or more. The star rating doesn't matter too much unless it's a one or two. And the next benchmark is the secret one, which you said is 50. Nobody knows. They change it all the time. But it's the number of reviews where the algorithms, there are several things at Amazon that are triggered by certain algorithms, or I'm not saying that right, where there are certain algorithms that go into play when certain things get triggered. So one of them is when you have somewhere more than 50 reviews, but we don't know how many, there's a certain amount of internal marketing that Amazon does for a book. Like it puts it in a lineup of people who bought books like this also bought this. The book is more likely to be in one of those lineups if it has a lot of reviews. And there are other things like that that Amazon does. You can't buy them. Amazon won't tell you what they are. They won't give you any way to figure out how to do it, but we know that they exist. And the the other um, thing that matters at Amazon, and we do a lot of these campaigns, is we do a very intense campaign to get a book. We lower the price and do a very intense campaign in several places to get a book to be in the top 10 of its subcategory. And sub-subcategory is fine also. So, like, you could if you get to be number one in absurdist science fiction, which is a sub-subcategory in Amazon, there'll be all kinds of algorithms that will kick in there, too. And I should also say that discoverability is one of the... I didn't say this before, but word of mouth is a great way to get discovered. So is how people browse. I mean, people do browse. They browse everywhere. You can't buy um, much browsing. There, there's not a lot of things you can do in places where people browse. But at Amazon, people browse the top 10, top 100 lists of the subcategories that they love because like, I love fiction that deals with the art world. And that's not... There's not a lot of it. So if I'm really like looking for a book, I have to dig pretty deep and I'll look at those like subcategories and see what what is out now in, you know, art history fiction. So we do a lot of campaigns where we get books into those top 10 spots on a sub subcategory and we see that they stay there much longer than the promotion lasts, that, there, that there's an after effect. First of all, there's an after effect because people are going to the subcategory, seeing your book in, in the top 10 slot. They've never heard of you before, but it makes the book real to a reader when they see it's a top 10 book. And so um, it gives them credentials. And then the more people see it, the more people buy it, and the longer it stays in the top 10 category, the more people see it and the more people buy it, and it can stay there for a very long time. So the, it's like when we do one of those campaigns, the money may last two weeks, but the actual sales is going to last for six months to a year because every one of the people that did buy it because they saw it there, then they read it, then if they liked it, they start telling people about it, and then the word of mouth takes over. And this is all much harder than it used to be because in the 1990s, there were, you know, 6,000 novels published a year. So it was much easier to get a book seen. Now that there are so many books, it's just harder to get this it seen. And it's harder to get everything hit at the same time. Like in the 1990s, you'd get a review in the New York Times or your local paper. And it would be the same time that the book just came out, was face out in the bookstore. And it would be the same time that there were actual, if there, there weren't any blogs in the 1990s, but whatever the things were, they were all happening sort of at the same time. And the average person, I think back then had 20 books on their to be read list. And now the 
average person has 400 books on their to be read list because ebooks are so cheap. Oh my goodness. Well, it's it's such a, a wild world, MJ, and I'm very grateful that you helped navigate it. I, <laughs> I, I'm calling what you're doing tough love, and I, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. It's always great to talk to you, and I'm always willing to help. And any questions you have, don't hesitate. A lot of your authors have said, I'll pay you for a consulting fee to tell me you know, what I should do. I don't charge for that. So, you know, I mean, I won't, I won't spend nine years with somebody, but people should feel very free to email and ask you know, a basic question. It's author buzz is the website and uh, really easy to find. That's very generous of you. Thank you, MJ. Yeah. Thank you, MJ. Thank you. We will be right back with today's book trend. Well, today's book trend is also a recommendation. And so if you've been paying attention to Amazon lately, you've seen what they're calling Amazon A plus detail pages, which is where authors are enhancing their book pages with gorgeous graphics and memes. Hmm, how fun. And according to Amazon's site, adding A plus content to your product detail pages can help result in higher conversion rates, increased traffic and increased sales when used effectively. But have you found this to be true, Brooke? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's hard to quantify any kind of direct sales happening as a result of just putting up the A-plus content. I do think the visuals are helpful. They look more professional, and we are living in a world of, like, high graphic content. So I do personally like to see things that have, like, beautiful designs. It's kind of like having a nicely designed website. And the reason that memes are so popular on social media is because people really do like getting their content delivered in pretty packages. Yeah, definitely can see that as an overall trend. I worry about the value of words in our culture, but let's <laughs> let's uh, share a couple books from She Writes and Spark Press list that that you think have great A plus content, so that our listeners can go and take a look and see what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. So She Writes Press author Barbara Probst, her book is called Queen of the Owls. Uh, she has a really beautiful A-plus content going on there. So you can see what it's supposed to look like. And if you're an author, get it done yourself. And our Spark Press author, Rec Talk Ross, uh, her book is called Ski Weekend. And both of these authors have done really lovely graphics. They're great examples of what's possible for any author out there. Um, and then I would just put a quick caveat because I am a publisher. <laughs> if you are a publisher, not self-published, then please work with your publisher to get those graphics uploaded so that you don't make any mistakes just when i think i'm caught up with every internet tool <laughs> another one comes out so there's another one for my to-do list Oh my gosh. Well, an author's work is never done. We certainly know that to be true. I have not done it yet either, but I plan to. We both got to walk the talk, Grant. Uh, so <laughs> get on it. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be possible to do it before another episode of Right Minded hits your feed next week. So thank you always, listeners. We appreciate you. And uh, I guess Grant and I will be busy hiring someone to do graphics between now and next week. 